A new global deal on climate change has been approved by almost 200 countries at the UN summit in Dubai. The deal calls on all countries to move away from the use of fossil fuels. This is the first time there's been a clear reference to the future of all fossil fuels in a UN climate summit text. But this deal doesn't include any wording on the phase-out of fossil fuels, something many governments wanted. Well, here is the moment the COP president announced the deal. I invite the CMA to adopt the draft decision entitled Outcome of the First Global Stocktake contained in document FCCC-PA-CMA-2023-L.17. Hearing no objection, it is so decided. <laughs> Sultan Ahmed al-Jabba went on to praise the deal as an historic package. Many said this could not be done. But when I spoke to you at the very start of this COP, I promised a different sort of COP. A COP that brought everyone together, private and public sectors, civil society, NGOs, faith leaders, youth, and indigenous peoples. Everyone came together from day one. Everyone united, everyone acted, and everyone delivered. We operationalized loss and damage and started to fill the fund. We mobilized more than 83 billion U.S. dollars in new financial commitments. We launched Altera, the world's largest catalytic private investor that is 100% focused on solutions to climate change. And we delivered world first after world first a global goal to triple renewable energy and double energy efficiency, declarations on agriculture, declarations on food, declarations on health. Many more oil and gas companies stepping up for the first time. Stepping up to deliver against very ambitious goals and objectives, and for the first time to deliver on methane and emissions. And we have language on fossil fuel in our final agreement for the first time ever. The United States Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, John Kerry, praised the deal as a success of international cooperation. I think as you look around this room and, and you look at the number of people who are here, um, it underscores the complications, the difficulties, the fundamental challenge of bringing 200 countries together and finding consensus. I think that everybody here should should be pleased that in a world of Ukraine and the Middle East uh, war and all the other challenges of a planet that uh, is foundering, uh, 
this is a moment where multilateralism has actually come together and people have taken individual interests and attempted to define the common good. Let's go live to Dubai, our correspondent there. Carl Nasman is following all the developments. Carl. Yeah, that's right. It's been a very rapid pace of developments here in Dubai. We all came uh, in the early hours of today. We got that updated text and it felt like after days of waiting, it only took about a few minutes for it to be gaveled through and passed. We now have a deal. This is the global stock take, which wraps in so many different bits of ambition from the two weeks at this COP28. Of course, the biggest headline is that for the first time in decades, these nations gathered together have agreed to transition away from fossil fuels that's the first time that those words have been in one of these agreements. Now, we just heard after the gavel went down some impassioned words from low-lying island states, from the alliance of small island states, AOSIS. Here's what they had to say just moments ago. Zoning in on paragraph 26 and 29 of this, of this decision, we have come to the conclusion that the course correction that is needed has not been secured. We have made an incremental advancement over business as usual when what we really needed is an exponential step change in our actions and support. Mr. President, in paragraph 26, we do not see any commitment or even an invitation from parties to peak emissions by 2025. We reference the science throughout the text and even in this paragraph, but then we refrain from an agreement to take the relevant action in order to act in line with what the science says we have to do. So despite the historic nature, of course, of this agreement, not every country is completely satisfied. There are many developing nations and many nations like Samoa that are on the front lines of climate change that feel like this deal simply doesn't go far enough. I'm joined by a couple of guests here. I have Brianna Fruin, who is from Samoa, a Pacific climate warrior, and also Drew Slater, Pacific climate warrior from Fiji. Brianna, I'd love to start with you. We heard the representative there uh, who's from Samoa, but was speaking on behalf of AOSIS, this alliance of small island states. What did you make of that speech and the message behind it? Is there satisfaction among people from Samoa or similar nations that are on the front lines of climate change? Are they satisfied with this deal? And simply, no. I think I echo the words of our AOSIS chair, Annie, that um, there was so much that we needed to say but weren't even given the time because some of the AOSIS members weren't even in the room when it was gaveled. And she said in her statement that she was a little bit confused as to what was happening. And then if you want to go and look at what in the text AOSIS opposes to, you can have a look at her statement. Drew, how about you? Are those similar sentiments on your part? You're from Fiji. Is there concern that nations such as Samoa, such as Fiji, simply were left out of the process right at the end of this deal? I think it was gaveled very rapidly, and as um, AOSIS chair said, some of the AOSIS representatives weren't in the room, um, and there was a bit of confusion. And there are also clear points of concern in the text, particularly around the lack of a phase-out. Um, acknowledging the transition away from fossil fuels is historic, yes, but it's a signal. We've heard it's a signal, and the time for signaling is long past. Well, is there enough in this deal that you think this could make a difference, potentially keep the world on track? to meet our 1.5 degrees Celsius goal. There's incremental change. So there's small bits in there of success, 
but it's not what we need it to be. It's not what we need it to be to get out of this trajectory that we're on. And we've made it clear 1.5 is a red line for us. We can't cross 1.5 because our survival is on that line. And um, there's text in there that crosses that 1.5 line. Drew, there were concerns, of course, uh, coming into this COP28, that it was being hosted in an oil nation, that the COP28 president is also the CEO of an oil company. In the end, do you think that those concerns affected the outcome here? I think we need to acknowledge that there were over 2,000 fossil fuel lobbyists present at COP28, a significant increase from the COP before. I think it's also important to acknowledge that this the outcome possesses some loopholes that could benefit the fossil fuel industry, referring to abatement, referring for, to um, transition fuels like gas. So it does feel like this could have been a win because it doesn't completely phase out fossil fuels. There's still room for expansion. Brianna, I think there are some that might say this seemed to be an impossible deal to get oil nations on board with something. We saw the leaked document from OPEC saying that they would absolutely oppose any language to a fossil fuel phase out and yet to get fairly strong language on fossil fuels. Does that seem like a win given those circumstances? I mean, I've said this before today, it's like asking us to celebrate flowers that will lie on our grave. How can you ask us to do that? And at the same time, I think it's about transparency. The thing is, we were asked to come to this COP, and at the very beginning, we got word from the presidency that this would be a historic win. There was no real history made. This, yes, a small historic, historic win of having fossil fuels in the text, but it's almost like the spirit of how we began this COP is not how we're ending it. Brianna Fruin uh, from Samoa, Drew Slater from Fiji, both Pacific Climate Warriors. Thank you to you both for coming to share your perspectives on this text, which has just been approved in Dubai. One note just to end on, we heard, of course, that big standing ovation after Sultan al-Jaber gaveled through this agreement. There was another standing ovation after that speech from Samoa on behalf of these smaller states, and that lasted longer than that initial round of applause. That can just show you that there are plenty of concerns still about whether or not this deal goes far enough. Okay, Carl, thanks very much. Well, let's take you back live to uh, the COP summit where we can hear now from the UK Minister for Climate, Graeme Stewart, who is speaking. ...and on finance. We're fully committed to doubling adaptation finance and we recognise that this is just the floor. We need to finance the energy transition. This all needs to be part of the conversation next year as we step up deliberations on the new collective quantified goal. Mr. President, we are facing an unprecedented challenge with the climate crisis. And although there is a long way to go and we need to move much faster, this outcome is something we can genuinely celebrate. Thank you. UK Minister for Climate, Graham Stewart, there, welcoming this deal that has been agreed by uh, 200 countries at the uh, COP summit in Dubai.